Hello, and welcome to Morning Commute with Miller Thompson. You're listening to episode number 12. Welcome to Morning Commute with Miller Thompson, a podcast for Canada's legal community and those generally interested in Canadian law. Each month, our lawyers delve into current issues surrounding the legal landscape, providing in-depth insight and analysis on key developments in today's Canadian marketplace. Now here are today's hosts. I'm Tracy Bailey. And I'm Annie Alport. And we are part of Miller Thompson's National Health Industry Team. Today we're joined by two of our colleagues, Stephen Torsher and Terry Hebert, to continue our conversation about COVID-19 vaccination policies, some of which require vaccination to take part in certain activities, such as going into work. So Stephen specializes in labor and employment law, and Terry works extensively in occupational health and safety. And we're gonna hear from them to find out more about issues related to employment, whether in unionized or non-unionized settings and related considerations, such as legal duties to provide for a safe workplace. Whether members of our health industry and labor and employment teams have been advising health industry clients from large and small businesses, many of the questions have been around whether or not employers can implement such policies And if they can, how can it be done? So today we're going to chat a bit more about when employers can implement policies, secondly, how, and on what basis they may be challenged in an employment law or collective agreement context. Stephen, in some cases, certain employers are being required to implement mandatory vaccine policies. In other words, policies that require proof of vaccination for COVID-19 to work in certain settings or to come to work at all. So, for example, as you know, we've seen in BC, certain health industry organizations mandated to do so in keeping with an order under that province's public health legislation. In other cases, such as in Alberta, our regional health authority, Alberta Health Services, has decided to implement policy as an employer rather than as a result of any order. But regardless of the type of employer you are, what factors do employers need to keep in mind? That's a good question, Tracy, and something that we've been dealing with a lot lately. I think the biggest factor to keep in mind is that employers are always obligated by health and safety legislation to take all reasonable steps to ensure a a safe workplace for their employees and for others that may be present at the work site. The specific language of the legislation might vary from one jurisdiction to the next, but the basic premise is the same. So then the question becomes, in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, what must an employer do to address these risks? In the case of employers that might fall under an order, it's important to review the details of that order. Employers will need to ensure that they follow those requirements that are dictated by the government or the local public health uh, legislation. For other employers that may not be under an order, they have to go back to first principles and look at what is reasonably required to protect those workers at the work site. For some, this would go beyond just protecting their workers though. Uh, Think of long-term care providers, for example. Uh, the need to protect residents who are likely to be at greater risk of contracting COVID-19 and could suffer greater health consequences if they do catch the virus will be a key consideration. For others, I think employers will have to look at the nature of their business and how their employers do their work. There may be less justification for a mandatory vaccine policy where your employees will have little to no contact with the public or or other co-workers, uh, such as employees who are working from home. And then, so what are the key employment law considerations for non-unionized employees, Stephen? Well, any policy that's introduced by the employer must be reasonable. Um, It should allow for certain exceptions in the case of employees 
who might not be able to get vaccinated for reasons that are protected by human rights grounds. Um, when it comes to non-unionized employees, I think you need to look at uh, current employees and prospective employees a little bit differently. For current employees, there's always a risk of constructive dismissal if you change a fundamental term or condition of employment without the employee's consent. And we see this with demotions and wage rollbacks from time to time, but there's also a risk of constructive dismissal if you introduce a new job requirement, like the requirement to be fully vaccinated. This risk can be reduced if there's a, a term in an existing employment contract for these employees that explicitly grants the employer the right to introduce new or change existing workplace policies. For new hires, however, there isn't quite that same risk because you can make vaccination one of the conditions of employment. Employers wouldn't be changing the terms of employment midstream because the employee hasn't started yet. If you didn't have authority under an employment agreement, what would be the potential repercussions, Stephen? Probably the two biggest risks are the potential for a human rights com complaint or a constructive dismissal lawsuit. A human rights complaint could result if an employee claims they are unable to comply with the policy because of a protected ground, such as uh, disability or uh, religious beliefs and the employer does not accommodate the employee. Sometimes accommodation may not be possible, but for the most part, every employer has the duty to accommodate these employees to the point of undue hardship. How far an employer needs to go will depend greatly on the particular circumstances of the employer and the employee and the nature of the work too. Uh, constructive dismissal is also a risk. When an employee claims they've been constructively dismissed, they're entitled to consider their employment ended and they can sue the employer for essentially the same kinds of damages that they would receive if they were wrongfully terminated. Stephen, so one question I had was, how can an employer enforce a mandatory vaccine policy? What challenges could employers face? Enforcing these policies will no doubt be a challenge in the next few months. Employers are basically working without the, without a safety net here because there are no court or arbitration decisions that touch on the enforceability of these types of COVID-19 policies in Canada. There are some decisions out there about seasonal influenza policies and unionized workplaces and a, a smattering of other decisions in the human rights context out there that exist here and there. But largely these, largely these policies have not been judicially considered by our courts. Until then, I think employers will have to do their best to ensure that the policies are reasonable and implemented in good faith, and they're going to have to be flexible as uh, they work through some of these issues. I think the larger the workplace, the more likely you are to find some employees who resist the policy, people who are hardcore anti-vaxxers or even people who are just hesitant and unsure at this time if getting vaccinated is the right decision for them. The first step should probably be education. Ensure that your employees have accurate, factual, and up-to-date information on the safety and e efficacy of vaccines and why they're being implemented at this particular time. For those that still decline to be vaccinated at that point, uh, the employer will have to decide whether they can be reassigned to another area where their lack of vaccination will pose less of a risk, like working from home or in a position that minimizes their contact with others. Or perhaps they will have to uh, consider putting some of these employees on a, a leave of absence of some sort. Employers should also be ready to address what might happen when an employee requests an exception uh, based on a protected ground under human rights legislation. Employers should understand what evidence they might require from employees in order to get that exception. Typically, a bald assertion that an exemption applies is not sufficient, but the kind of evidence that you can require could be dictated or limited by legislation in some jurisdictions, so it's important to check your local listing. Awesome. Thanks for that, Stephen. Um, so then, what, what would change in a unionized context? What would be the key factors there? I think many of the same factors are going to apply in the unionized context that we 
we've already talked about, policies will have to be reasonable, they'll have to allow for exceptions based on human rights grounds, and they'll have to be enforced in a reasonable manner, etc. But the added wrinkle is obviously the involvement of the union. Um, in a unionized workplace, the terms of employment are going to be dictated by the collective agreement, so the language of each agreement is going to be critical. Some agreements may allow employers more leeway than others to introduce new workplace policies. Obviously, if the local signs off on the new policy and agrees to its implementation, that will help. That's not always the case. Um, that may also be a challenge depending on whether you're in the middle of bargaining for a new collective agreement because it adds yet another weighty issue that needs to be negotiated. And of course, um, introducing changes to the terms and conditions of the workplace will not be permitted in most cases when there's a freeze in effect. So that's something that uh, needs to be kept in mind as well. Thanks, Stephen. As we know, there have been a number of challenges in unionized settings with respect to influenza vaccination, vaccination policies. What challenges do you think are specific to this unionized environment? Environment. And thinking about all of the case law out there, out of that unionized collective agreement context, can you sum up um, whether the cases are in support of this kind of move or not, thinking specifically about COVID-19? Yeah, well, in, in terms of what employees or sorry, what to employees in the union can do to challenge these policies. Um, I think employees who feel that they have been negatively impacted by these policies can work with their union to file an individual grievance against the employer. Uh, the union could also potentially file a policy grievance on behalf of all employees to challenge the mandatory vaccine policy as a whole. If a union declines to file a grievance on behalf of an employee, and we've seen a lot of unions come out in support of these policies in theory, uh, so it remains to be seen whether the unions themselves will challenge the policies wholesale or if they're wait to see how they're implemented and uh, perhaps challenge some of the decisions there. But if an employee nonetheless persists and an employee can look to the local labor relations board to file a complaint based on a failure of the union to properly represent them as well, if the employee feels that a, a grievance should have been filed and, and wasn't filed by the union. And this is usually called a, a duty of fair representation complaint. As I mentioned, we don't have a lot of jurisprudence yet specific to COVID-19 vaccination. What we do have typically comes from seasonal influenza cases. There, a lot of the challenge faced by employers had to do with the evidence of the efficacy of influenza vaccination versus the efficacy of other measures like hand washing, masking, PPE, etc. Evidence of the risk in the workplace was also important because these policies are more likely to be upheld where they are designed to help protect a vulnerable population. Influenza policies that were upheld often allowed employees the option of remaining out of the workplace during an outbreak as well. We expect that COVID-19 vaccination policies may be viewed differently for a few reasons. First, evidence of the efficacy of the vaccine shows that COVID-19 vaccines are much better at protecting individuals from the infection and severe outcomes than the seasonal influenza vaccines are at protecting individuals from the flu. At best, influenza vaccines are somewhere around 60% effective, whereas the COVID-19 vaccines are in the 80, 90 uh, range. Another big difference is that we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. We have seen widespread transmission of the virus resulting in a cr critical strain on our healthcare system and a much larger number of severe outcomes and deaths than we see in the case of uh, seasonal influenza outbreaks. I think this is an important difference in the context that sets the present situation apart from what we've seen in the past. What human rights and arbitration decisions we have seen so far in the context of masking suggests that courts and tribunals are likely to take COVID-19 protocols very seriously going forward. And that's going to be another key difference here. Thanks so much, Stephen. Terry, I'm going to turn to you. So in thinking about the law and duties to ensure a safe workplace, 
Well, it will depend on the workplace and, of course, whether it's federally or provincially regulated. Taking Alberta as an example, how would you say occupational health and safety legislation impacts whether such policies should be considered? Thanks, Annie. For a provincially regulated employer in Alberta, it's really important to look at the communications that are coming out from the Alberta Occupational Health and Safety Department. Uh, the obligation to maintain a safe and healthy workplace, of course, comes from our Occupational Health and Safety Act. But when we look at the publications coming out from the department itself, it gives us some guidance as to how uh, vaccination policies or using vox vaccination in the workplace will be looked at by occupational health and safety investigators, which is very important for employers who are trying to consider what their regulatory risks are in the management of their operations. Alberta Occupational Health and Safety issued a bulletin uh, updated as recently as September 7, 2021, stating that COVID-19 is a hazard in the workplace, meaning all workplaces, not just uh, healthcare facilities or uh, the healthcare industry, and that employers have an obligation to complete a hazard assessment for their workplace, which should include uh, documentation of all controls that will be used to eliminate or control this hazard. This obligation to assess hazards, any kind of hazard, and to control for that hazard in the workplace comes directly from Section 7 of Alberta's Occupational Health and Safety Code. That same bulletin that I'm referring to indicates very clearly that vaccination is considered, quote, an engineering control along with ventilation systems in your facilities. And these are considered, according to Alberta Occupational Health and Safety, first choice controls for eliminating or controlling a hazard in the workplace. In my view, this type of publication from Alberta Occupational Health and Safety uh, lends support to employers considering a vaccine mandate of some type within the workplace. Obviously, vaccination policies in a workplace are not going to be a one-size-fits-all uh, situation situation because different employers have different types of operations, different types of facilities, different types of work, and their workers are exposed to uh, different levels of risk from the virus depending on what they're doing, where they're doing it, and how close they are in proximity to customers, clients, the public, and other workers. In general, I think that Alberta Occupational Health and Safety and its investigators are likely going to view vaccination policies within the workplace favorably because vaccination is a powerful tool for reducing the hazard posed by COVID-19 in all workplaces, not just in the healthcare industry. Excellent. Thanks, Terry. So what are some key factors that uh, employers should consider if workplaces, whether health or otherwise, like you said, are considering or working towards implementing a policy? I think it's really important to get all of the required pieces in place and that uh, it's better for employers to handle all aspects of this uh, together as opposed to just interest. Uh, introducing a policy in a vacuum. So it's critical that that hazard assessment that I was just referring to has been done and that uh, the workplace has carefully and thoughtfully considered how to reduce the risk of transmission in the workplace because different parts of the workplace and different sectors of your workforce may need different kinds of controls. Then once we have
have that very important document in place, which is required under our code, then we can move on to having a well-drafted policy that will clearly explain why the employer is taking these steps and also clearly explain how the information collected from workers regarding their vaccination status is going to be used. So in other words, that policy can't be uh, exercised in a vacuum. It really needs to explain clearly to workers why it is being put into place and how that information from workers is going to be used for health and safety planning purposes and to reduce the risk of transmission in the workplace. I think it's also very important if you're introducing a, a type of policy along these lines that you keep the communication channels with your workforce open. We know from um, other examples of uh, safety procedures in the workplace, that safety in the workplace really becomes a culture, and it's a culture that the employer and the employees have to work together to support. And so by keeping the communication channels open with your employees and making it clear from the get-go that your policy and the controls that are in place to address the hazard of COVID-19 could change in the future is very important so that we don't give people um, a false impression that once they get vaccinated, everything will be fine. We don't have to worry about this anymore. We're so early in the pandemic and the virus is constantly changing. We just don't know what will happen in the future. We may be facing variants that are more contagious or more deadly in the future, or maybe not. And employers will need to uh, communicate to their workers that they're undertaking these policies for the health and safety of everyone, but that these policies are also subject to change because you may need in future as an employer even more onerous uh, restrictions or controls within the workplace, or you might need fewer. It's just too early to tell. And so I would really love to see employers and employees working together to support a culture of safety within the workplace, just like they would for fall hazards or fire hazards or any other type of hazard that is in the workplace. This, of course, is a respiratory illness, and this is a new type of hazard for many, many employers who have never had to deal with this sort of risk in the workplace before. Before. Um, but together, I think that if we're flexible and we keep the communication channels open with employees, we can get more buy-in from workers for these types of health and safety policies. Terry and Stephen, thanks so much for chatting with us today about these important workplace issues. That was a great overview of some of the key factors we've been advising on as both employers and employees seek to navigate the changing landscape in the context of COVID-19. Yes, thank you both. And for those listening, if you're interested in vaccine passports and who isn't these days, stay tuned. Tracy and I will be discussing that in our next episode. Thanks for joining us. This podcast was recorded by Miller Thompson LLP. Our firm provides a full range of services to address the legal needs of businesses, financial institutions, governments, not-for-profits, entrepreneurs, and individuals. With over 550 lawyers and 12 offices across the country, we cover Canada better than any other national law firm. Subscribe to stay informed at millerthompson.com.